everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of The Pulse, APC's newest podcast, um, where we talk about all things related to the business side of healthcare and some other things from time to time. Um, I'm Lori Cox. I'm your host today. And one of the things that I love about my job is that I get to go to different conferences and trade shows and network and talk to people. And that is how I met Don Carter. So welcome, Don. Will you please tell everybody about yourself because you are so awesome? I will. Thank you, Lori, so much for having me. You're right. Rise is a great place to meet just the best and the brightest and to keep the pulse on what's happening in our very fast paced healthcare world. Lots of great conferences out there, of course, with AAPC, Rise, HIMSS, HFMA, all yeah, those great things. Right. Yes. Like I want to go to every single one I of them. Do. Can I please yes. just hit everyone? <laughs> And they're always in great cities. So that, that's always a good thing. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background. I know you. So today we're going to talk about the social determinants of health, SDOH. Um, but tell me a little bit about your background. Sure. So I currently work for Centauri Health Solutions, which is a full service vendor of, you know, payer, hospital, and other solutions um, in the healthcare realm. And I specifically work in the risk adjustment side of the house doing product development. And so we build, of course, um, a platform that serves all aspects of risk adjustment, including medical coding, which is, you know, a large part of AAPC's population. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, of course, is medical chart retrieval, medical coding, um, risk adjustment analytics, risk adjustment submissions, um, and other bits and bobs of things that we do related to risk adjustment and, and quality, mm -hmm. and uh, clinical data exchange and all, all those things that support risk adjustment. Um, my career expands back about 28 years, so I know I'm nice. dating myself, <laughs> as a young nursing student uh, looking to work uh, full-time while going to school, and I worked in the admissions office of a hospital. And back in the mid nineties, computers were first starting to permeate the healthcare <laughs> right. space. Yep. And uh, I decided I liked computers better than patient care. So thus started my <laughs> career. And this was before there were even degrees in um, IT. So I got right. a business degree and I proceeded to kind of work my way through the revenue cycle. Mm -hmm. um, in 2010, I joined the dark side and started working for a vendor oh. of risk adjustment and quality solutions. Oh, and wow. my career has just moved on from there. Nice. And in the past few years, um, I also have started working on solutions for social determinants of health mm -hmm. um, because it was a natural extension of what we do in risk adjustment because it does affect, you know, a yes. member's health, as we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. And also it's it's a very, it's personally, it is a great passion of mine, um, as I'm sure we will also talk about. And so <laughs> it makes sense, you know, for, you know, to marry those two together in yeah. hopes of helping our payers, our communities, our members, our providers understand what their role is related to these social determinants of health. And so that in a nutshell is my yep. background and how I'm coming to you today. So you started coding you when you were like 10, right? I mean, I did too. So I, yeah, absolutely. Pretty much. I, um, <laughs> you know, coding has kind of always been an interesting fact. Coding has kind of always been a part of the jobs I've had, but I was never certified because oh. of course, so I, this past year, I actually am like, well, you know, I really should do this because I really <laughs> 
I really wanted to be more involved with the AAPC. And again, it's a very natural extension of what I do here at Centauri. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, and then of course it's, it's like certifications. You can't like the Lay's potato chip. You can't eat or have just one. So I got to get more. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm actually enrolled in a master's degree program for health administration. So that's going to be, that's going to be the cherry on top. And I'm oh. really looking forward to bringing all that knowledge to bear with product development and, and SDOH and um, really start to you know move mountains in our industry. That's my goal. You are a very, very busy person. So thank you so much for taking some time to do this with us today. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, let's, let's start in. So social determinants of health. So even though this has come to light, maybe what, over the past few years, like, I don't know, really past three or four years, maybe when ICD-10 kind of came about, we moved from nine to 10, and then we got all these new diagnosis codes for social determinants of health. And then everybody started to kind of awaken to this, but this is not a new thing, right? That's right. You are correct. And it's, it's funny because now a lot of our organizations like RISE and others have whole conferences focused on social determinants yeah. of health. Whereas, um, you know, even five years ago, that wasn't the case. And there, the reasons for that are, there are many, but it's mostly because over time, it's been realized that these social determinants of health actually determine 80 to 90% of our health outcomes. So, and that's major. And so that when is major. We, yes. So when we talk about social determinants of health, we're talking about five, ma- five major domains. Okay. The first one is education, access, and quality. The second is economic stability. The third is healthcare access and quality. The fourth is neighborhood and built environment. And the last one is social and community context. So these encompass things like like, um, food insecurity, you know, not Mm -hmm. having enough food to eat or not living where you can get, you know, good food to eat or even Mm -hmm. things like loneliness, being homeless, things like that. And so what's, and actually, you know, to your point, these things have always affected people health. Um, And it was even recognized back in 1801 when the Industrial Revolution started and society started to see increases in poverty and disease that came out of crowded living conditions and, Mm -hmm. you know, lack of adequate treatment and hygiene and things Mm -hmm. like that that affect affect disease processes. And then, of course, in 1948, um, the World Health Organization started to really define what health is. And so and in the social, their social aspect was a part of that. So this has been around for a long time. And it's um, and it's so pervasive that um, studies have have said that about 68 percent of members and health plans have an SDOH. I know I certainly do. I can see people in my community who do. So this, this affects a lot of people and it's been around a long time. And then now there are regulatory processes happening because part of my job is to kind of keep up with how this affects (laughs) risk adjustment and coding is a part of that because we do operate, you know, retrieval and coding operations and making sure that, you know, our, our, our coders and our, our community and our product developers, everybody understands uh, why this is so important. And it's because CMS and HHS and other entities have said, we must care about Mm -hmm. this because of the impact it has and because so many people are affected by this. And so we we need to be able to um, make sure that we're translating, you know, what what members are telling providers and, and other 
interested parties. We can translate that into um, usable and accessible information so that we can, we can treat the, you know, or we can serve these social determinants of health in an intelligent way. Right. Right. Because a lot of people, I mean, just thinking about it from a high level point of view and gosh, I'm still processing the numbers that you, that you gave me. I'm just kind of in awe of that, even though I think we see it every day. I don't think it gets translated as much like you said, but um, gosh, yeah, I'm just processing that it's that high. Um, but these, these patients, they don't come in for treatment if, if they're homeless or, or they're um, insecure about any of these pieces of their life. They don't always want to talk about that. So they right. don't tell people. Um, and then it doesn't get transmitted that way. But we know that they don't seek help on a regular basis. They don't go in for well child and well baby and well woman appointments. They, they go in when they absolutely have to, correct? That is correct. And in fact, 60% of people have said that, that in, a, in a recent study said that they have never discussed SDOH with a provider. So that's like, okay, who are they discussing it with? <laughs> and that's why even um, with coding, you know, there is a, in terms of the definition of who can document these conditions, it's not just your traditional doctors, you know, going in to see a doctor and the doctor says, oh, they are homeless or, oh, they are food insecure, whatever the case may be, there are others that can document that because let's face it, social workers come into contact with these people a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Community organizations, you know, health departments, you know, federally qualified health centers, all kinds of entities are serving these communities and they have to have a meaningful way to ask those questions and then use appropriate screening tools that can then feed that information to make it accessible and usable to try to craft interventions that are going to serve that population. Right. And you bring up a good point about the documentation because um, I think we kind of get focused. Okay. So when the whole CPT ENM guidelines changed, we focused on MDM and we kind of forget that there's the history and the physical and the social history. And that is where I feel like most of these diagnosis codes can be documented and it could be documented by someone who is rooming the patient, like an MA or an RN or someone who's rooming the patient and they may be asking them these questions. And, and if they get the feeling maybe that the patient is not being forthcoming with their answers, they could mention that to the physician and maybe the physician could get some more or the physician just has an awareness. But I think bringing that awareness to the forefront is, is a big part of this. It sure is. And there are more and more, again, as just a natural um, ex, you know, growth of SDOH in our healthcare space, a lot of good screening tools that can be used. That's a good um, thing. I'm glad you mm-hmm. said that. Okay. So tell me about some of those screening tools, because that was a question that I did have for you. So there are, um, there, there have been various ones that are in develop, well, have been developed that can be used in different clinical settings. Um, and they, they ask just general questions about things like education and literacy, homelessness, the physical environment, you know, do they feel safe at their home? Yeah. Um, 
they ask things about food. You know, do you uh, do you feel that you have enough to eat? You know, do you feel that you have access to food? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they also ask about support systems. You know, do you live with, with family members? Um, do you live alone? Because of course, lo- actually, loneliness is a huge uh, SDOH. Yes, it increase. It's it, out of three hundred and thirty million Americans. It, it it's we have one third of people in the United States report that they are chronically lonely. So that's, and that's, that's yes. So that's, they ask about, you know, their, their psychosocial state, you know, where they're living, who they're living with. Mm -hmm. Are they feeling safe? Are they experiencing abuse and neglect? You know, things like that. And so Mm -hmm. most screening tools are going to hit all five of those domains with specific questions about different aspects like education, like I said, loneliness, safety, food security, Mm -hmm. um, access to healthcare. Can they get to appointments? Do they have transportation? You know, all the things, a a lot of things that'll, you know, some of us even like, oh gosh, I didn't even think about that, but you have to have transportation, you know, to get around. You know, do you have access to the internet? That's huge. You know, yeah, you, is now. you know, no. I remember the days when it was a luxury to have a cell phone and now it's like, <laughs> it's a must, yeah. you know, you, <laughs> so these screening tools um, also have been um, the CMS center for innovation um, has been doing a lot of work, as you would imagine, with social determinants of health in helping develop screening tools that can be easily used by providers because we don't want to overburden providers, right? They, it's mm-hmm. like their job is caring for patients, right? Uh, but we want, you know, someone in that office or in that care setting, whether it's the provider themselves, the nurse, the medical assistant, s- social worker, somebody being able to ask the questions, do the documentation so that that can be translated into the proper codes and the data that's necessary to tell us about what these social needs are because that's what informs, you know, community um, organizations and what in, in terms of what they offer and then what providers and other care settings can recommend, you know, based upon the needs that are identified in this data. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of these. Um, if you even Google SDOH screening, you'll, it'll, you'll come up with a number of ones and they're all very good. Um, and like I said, and, and in some instances, the Center for Innovation at CMS has had input into the development of these screening tools. And then, of course, it's also, you know, if you can ask if, you, if you're just a small provider operating out in a rural area and you don't have access to these tools or don't, you can always ask, you can, you know, observe a lot. Of course, you know, do you, do you have access to food? You know, are you, are, you know, are you homeless? Um, Sometimes it's like you even ask about utilities. You know, do you have electricity? Do you have running water? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Because I, I live in a county where there are some some folks who still do not have adequate electricity and running water, and it's a huge problem. So these tools, you know, help to identify all these things that we don't think about affecting our health, like electricity. Because if someone's a diabetic, they can't refrigerate their insulin. They're they're not they're going to have a very poor outcome in terms of their health just because they don't they can't pay their light bill. So very important. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So people can Google social or SEOH tool screening tools and find 100 different tools out there that they can use to benefit their practice. I think that's important, too. If you're at an OB practice, you want to kind of focus on things that are maybe typical to women as well as some of the general. you know, 
issues and things that can affect them. So I really like that. Um, thank you. Yeah, the so- most popular one is the prepare tool. Um, prepare. It, it's, it's an acronym. It's P-R-A-P-A-R-E. Okay. And it's, it stands for the protocol for responding to and assessing patients' assets, risk, and experiences. Say that five times fast. <laughs> but that's, that's probably the most popular one that's, that's the most well-known. And then, of course, CMS has one that's, um, that they developed that's uh, it's called the Health-Related Social Needs Screening Tool. And it has 10 questions. So those are the two that pop the pop to mind. Um, but there, of course, like you said, are, are many. But the prepare is the one that CMS is focused on the most in terms of kind of targeting it for use as they consider, you know, incorporating SDOH into risk adjustment models and and other things like that. Okay. Quality measures, PEDIS measures, things like that. Awesome. Okay. That is awesome. I wrote those down to make a note to do a little bit of research later. Um, Okay. We're going to take just a quick break here and get a drink of water and pay the bills and then we'll be right back. How are you safeguarding against errors that put your organization at risk? At AAPC Services, we leverage our deep expertise in over 80 medical specialties. We create tailored solutions that drive accuracy, profitability, and peace of mind for healthcare organizations of every size. And when it comes to the accuracy you depend on, we leave nothing to chance. Your project will undergo our multi-tier quality review process, ensuring you meet your goals and we maintain our enterprise-wide 98% accuracy rate. Learn more at aapc.com slash business. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're here talking about the social determinants of health. Um, So Dawn and I have been having some pretty interesting conversations. We talked about some of the screening tools that are available out there. um, And let's talk a little bit, though, about coding these, because I feel like Well, I was just on a call with a provider. I was doing some provider education because I do a lot of auditing and then we go and do the education with the provider. And he was like, I said, well, you're only using one diagnosis code on your claims. And it happens to be injury unspecified, like the worst diagnosis code you could use (laughs) Uh in the first place. But this patient had so much and they actually did have, they were homeless. Um, They were looking for shelter for this patient. I mean, there was a lot of um, social work documentation in in the notes. And um, so I said, you realize that these are diagnosis codes that should be on the claim. He goes, I don't care about that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. (laughs) How would you respond to him and see if I, uh, I hope I, hopefully I told him the right thing, but I was like, it's important to get these diagnosis codes on the claim and here's why. So tell us why it's important to get those codes on those claims. So first and foremost, it's because CMS tells us you must do it from a compliance perspective. It is not an option anymore. Um, It is going to be incorporated into risk models and has already been proposed. Um, And CMS has published a lot of, um, you know, you know, rules and different things that they they expect. And so it's it's expected that these be documented Mm -hmm. and quality measures are going to be, um, you know, 
tracking these social determinants of health. So it's, you have to do this and it's natural for the provider to be the place where this starts because this affects quality of care. If a member, and you can even use the examples, if a member can't access transportation, you know, how are they going to get to preventive care doctor's appointments? They're going to present to the ER with very severe and very costly problems that could have been prevented with a transportation benefit, for example, Mm -hmm. or the one I said earlier, what if you had a patient and you became aware that they didn't have any electricity and they're a diabetic? What are you going to do then? Tell them, I don't care. You know, that is not an option. No, ethically an option either. And so I, you know, and there's, of course, like I was quoting some statistics about how this, you know, how many people it affects. It's, I know that they are not trained in medical school, you know, not a lot of time is spent on this. And just like, you know, not a lot of time is spent talking about nutrition, um, exercise, you know, things that are also in the realm of social determinants of health, but they are so important because they drive 80 to 90% of our health outcomes mm-hmm. and providers, you know, of course, are there to address organic causes of illness, but because often they are the only, they or people who work in their office, you know, are the, are the first line of defense. Right. It, it is, they need to at least talk to them about these things and then let the other professionals like social workers and other, you know, mental health clinicians handle the rest. Mm-hmm. But they, but everybody has a part in this. And that's mm-hmm. another message that I take to the industry is this is not a problem for the government. This is not just a problem for payers. It's not just a problem for providers. Everyone has a role in this. Right. So that's, and just, you know, going back to the loneliness example, you know, when you have a provider who's, you know, reluctant to, to spend any time on this, addressing loneliness has shown to result in a 51% inpatient stay reduction, 41% reduction in emergency department use, and an $847 per member per month cost savings. They can go back to care quality. So it's all a part of the bigger picture. And so, and really, and we know from a code, now I'll put my coding hat on, we know, you know, that we can educate providers on, you know, it's not like we're we're asking them to memorize hundreds of codes. It's not (laughs) that many. It's your Z codes, you know, that start with Z50, they go through Z55 through Z65 Mm -hmm. that cover all those domains of of SDOH that I talked about. And then, of course, things like homelessness and loneliness, you know, fall into those code groups. Mm -hmm. And then you also have a couple of T codes that deal with adult and child abuse, neglect, and other maltreatment. Mm -hmm. You have um, Y07, which is assault, maltreatment, and neglect. And then there are also um, a few that are specific to the LGBTQ population, which is a population that I have done uh, written papers and worked with. And those are F64, Z20, Z72, and Z87. So it's not like we're asking them. It's not very many codes. And sometimes to show them that makes a difference too, because they're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be as big as the ICD-10 code book that I have to, nope, it's just these small subset. Mm -hmm. And also examining the tools they're using. Sometimes you've got to meet providers where they're at. And if they're using, (laughs) there's two ways. If they're using an EMR, EHR, making sure those codes are programmed into it so that they can just tick a box, right? Mm -hmm. Right. That makes it a lot easier. And and a lot of sophisticated EMRs and EHRs have that ability. So we're talking Cerner's and Epic's and large ones, Mm -hmm. little tiny homegrown ones. 
Not so much. (laughs) So there may be, you know, discussions that have to be had with these providers to see if there's any flexibility in adding these to their EMRs and EHRs Mm -hmm. so they can be extracted when the claim comes in and then sent and then used in the manner that I was describing to inform analytics and strategies and all those good things for SDOH. So for folks that are still on paper, making sure because there are those there are i know isn't it strange that yes there are yes there are um so those folks making sure that super bills are updated you know that's again so that they can easily tick a box or whoever whether it's the nurse medical assistant whoever you're working with the patient Mm -hmm. can just tick that box and sometimes some it more and again i learned i you know i go to all these conferences one One thing that the most successful health plans do um, is it is somebody's job, usually a medical assistant or some or an LPN or somebody like that to actually do that screening while they are sitting there taking the blood pressure, taking the vitals, because it's as important as that just run them through the questions you know, are you, do you, are you homeless? You know, or do you feel your food and sick, you know, and running through that list so that they can, you know, be informed. And then those translate on the super bill to uh, homeless, um, neglect, um, no electricity, you know, whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. Mm-hmm. And then again, those translate to claims that then can properly inform those, those analytics that are so critical to telling, you know, providers, telling payers, telling the government, telling everybody about these populations so that proper strategies can be developed. But it starts with those, the front line of people. And that's why they have to care because yeah. it's the right thing to do. It's yeah. the right thing to do. At the end of the day, you're right. It is. And, um, I, I 100% would agree with you. And I think that uh, I think that coders and auditors and billers and <clears throat> physicians and everybody alike, we get wrapped up in getting that ICD-10 code documented and getting it on the claim. And then we kind of forget, oh, there's this whole thing that happens after that claim goes in. It doesn't just get right. hopefully paid or, or denied. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Exactly. And it's um, that, that's so critical. And, and like I said, the most it's I call it it's provider enablement. Mm-hmm. And it is a part, again, of what a lot of payers, particularly in other risk bearing organizations like large accountable care organizations and provider groups are doing um, just to, to work smarter and not harder, you know, mm-hmm. making it somebody's job. Like I said, you know, the person taking the vitals, you know, to run through this screening, right? Using a screening tool, mm-hmm. making sure that those information systems, whether it's a, an electronic EHR or the paper super bill or whatever it is, has, it makes it as easy as possible for that stuff to get documented. Because we do know, like I said, not just doctors, it can be social workers, it can be nurses, any anybody who's working with that patient can document. And that's, that is a good thing, you know, unlike other medical conditions where that is not the case. So very important distinction that that, um, is important for um, folks to know is that, you know, other people can document these conditions, not just doctors. So it's that, so that way, you know, again, informs Mm -hmm. all the strategies that are going to be the most effective and actually, you know, the, the ones that, and, and it's also, you know, helps, you know, kind of predict the cost that it's going to take, you know, to address these conditions. So very important to capture them. So one thing I know that has come up lately, excuse me, is uh, that the, now the Z codes, the social determinants of health codes, and I'm not super familiar with risk adjust, but I don't think they do, do they? Are they an HCC 
or they're not. They are not. Okay. Um, but but CMS <laughs> is evaluating um, how they will contribute to risk models. Okay. So stay tuned for that because it's coming where it's going to okay. be a part of risk adjustment. I think we've seen over the past couple of years, there has been some changes in risk adjustment. And I know that there's some that's come out recently. Um, and so I would, like you said, I would expect to see these things added because they are important and they do affect, I mean, you know, HTC is chronic condition. So is it right. homelessness a chronic condition typically? I mean, they don't want it to be, but it is. And so I just, I wanted to clarify that for my own knowledge as well, because I didn't think that they did, but they should. Basically. Yeah, they do not currently, but CMS has said, you know, we, and, and almost, this is the quote, you know, we are evaluating, you know, how these conditions are going to, to affect the risk adjustment model. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that shakes out. And the reason, there's many reasons for that. Um, one is, and I'll go back to my, my diabetic example, if you have somebody, and, and this also applies to heat and quality, somebody not compliant with their um, insulin, and they come up as 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 in, in the measure sample, and you're like, why are they? Why is their hemoglobin C so high? You know what's right. what's going on? You do a little more digging. They don't have electricity, or they right. they regularly cannot pay their power bill. Right. So and you know that that person's not the only one that that affects. If if you know, because we you heard the statistics. So that most assuredly is going to affect that member's risk score. Right. It's going to right. make it right. go higher. Absolutely. Because because it's not just the diabetes, it's all of the vascular complications. And oh, now they've got CHF and you know other things that make them much more costly to care for. But what if that health plan knows that that member, you know, is having a problem paying their electric bill? Mm -hmm. And then there's probably root causes for that. Maybe their employment is transient. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe they're experiencing domestic violence and, and you can't keep a Very job, true. whatever. Yeah. So it's that's and that's why we really have to care because that's what that's what blows up the cost of care. When and you have to and those providers are there to see that and say, hmm, wow, this person, you know, hemoglobin A1C is very high. They're a non-compliant diabetic. It's not enough just to chide that member to take their insulin. Right. What if they can't? Right. What if they can't? Yeah, absolutely. And I think of um, COPD patients that need oxygen. You know, that's uh, right. The, same thing. Same thing. Um, so, oh my gosh, I feel like we could talk even more about this, but our time is probably up for the day. So thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, I know you're super busy and we all are, but I really appreciate your input on this topic. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's like I said, it's a great passion of mine from professionally and from a business standpoint. And I certainly hope we have a chance to chance to chat again. Well, we need to go to some more conferences. So I'm going to get yes, on my do. marketing team about that. I need to go to some more conferences and make sure <laughs> we go to them together. Wonderful. Awesome. Thanks, Dawn. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast of The Pulse. And we'll see you again next time. Podcasts are great. Hands-on expert help is much better. Let AAPC Services tackle your revenue cycle challenges for more accurate, efficient, and profitable reimbursement. Visit aapc.com backslash business to learn more.